Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And we are remote tonight because Mr. Harvey has more important things to do. Mr. Harvey's day job sometimes goes into the night, and this is one of those days. <laughs> How you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I have my new Sci-Fi for Me mug here, and you'll notice it is larger than the other Sci-Fi for Me mugs that we have. This is a, I believe, a 15 ounce mug that we are going to make available. So we had to get a couple of prototypes to, you know, test and do some quality right. control. So, of course, sure. Something that Mrs. Boss has noticed, the gray on these, she says, looked brown. So I don't know if there's a baking setting that we've got to adjust a little bit on that. But I, mm. I think they turned out fairly well. I mean, you can't really you can't really tell that doesn't look brown. I mean, so. Anywho. <laughs> so that's where we are tonight. Welcome, everyone. We are talking tonight about, uh, this is a topic that, that has come up in the past, and I think got suggest I think Mindy suggested this one, uh, where a lot of times we talk about remakes, and we talk about remakes in the context of things what we don't want. Because generally, Hollywood makes their remakes, and they don't get it right a lot, more often than they do get it right but on occasion there are those items and tim tim you've even mentioned this several times and it's it's one of those things where if there's going to be a remake if hollywood were to make a re, a, a redo mm-hmm. a revision do something over again do something that was bad to start with and do a new one better Mm-hmm. So we thought we'd take a look at that particular subject tonight and see if there are some out there, if there are some films, some TV shows that deserve to be rebirthed, as it were. So I personally, I haven't come up with too many of them on my own, um, but I do have I do have one that just comes straight to mind uh, as I was thinking about this. Mm-hmm. And it is Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe. Or any of the Flash Gordon serials. And because mm-hmm. I got to thinking, because we're going, there's talk about, because Taika Waititi is working on an animated reboot of Flash Gordon. We don't have right. any word that there's going to be any kind of a live action thing. We're getting the live action reboot of Buck Rogers. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know, remaking Flash Gordon from the 80s, I would not want you to do that. We don't need to remake Flash. Ah. This isn't isn't to say you can't have a new Flash Gordon movie. Yes, and that's what I'm I'm looking at, where you don't necessarily need to tell the origin story again, because Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe doesn't do anything with the origin. It's just, here's Flash, here's Dale, here's Ming, the bad guy, boo, hiss, and let's tell the story. And you jump I, right in, and maybe you can have a, a you can have a, a reference, you can say something about, you know, 
him being from Earth and and being an athlete or whatnot. But you don't always have to tell the origin story first. And I know that runs counter to what I've said before, but with superhero films, it's so a little I different. Think that, I think you can run into the problem of, of overtelling the origin. There's no question about that. Yeah. Um, I recently went on Twitter to discover that apparently there's people out there um, still debating whether or not the Martha bit from Batman v Superman was good or not. And that came out of the whole, that led to a larger discussion about, you know, retelling the Batman's origin story again and 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 again. again. But Flash Gordon, I think that there is a benefit for, if you're going to do, if you're not going to remake, you know, the Flash Gordon film that cannot be remade. (laughs) (laughs) Just can't. You don't, you just don't have, the, the cast doesn't exist for it. Yeah. Um, but it's some, it's, you know, if you're doing a straight version of Flash Gordon, giving an audience, and, and that would help, I think, differentiate it between in the mind of an audience. I'm not saying I, I need it, because I don't. I know who Flash Gordon is. But for the larger audience and making it a differentiate, differentiating it from uh, the what's come before, because it is a sad truth that there are many, many people who have not seen the old serials. They have not seen... Um, you know, the 10 minute amazing pieces of storytelling that, you know, that our parents grew up on in the movie theater and had an incredible influence for, you know, I mean, if you Raiders of the Lost Ark comes out of this kind of storytelling superhero films, a lot of the things that we come to expect from superhero films got its origin, got their origins back in these 10 minute pieces of storytelling that you got before the, the feature. Um, and, and this stuff's out there on DVD and Blu-ray and you can find it. It's online. And I encourage you, if you're a genre fan to go check this stuff out, it's dated. Yes. But it's also a lot of it came first. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things that you, uh, I think the first super film, the su- first superhero film, well, I believe it was Captain Marvel. Yes, and that's the and, Shazam Captain Marvel, not right. the Marvel Marvel. Prior to Captain prior to Marvel. the wonderful joys of, let's see how many times we can screw with the copyright um, of mm-hmm. a name before the company just goes fine. We'll call it Shazam. Jeez, yeah. retired. Um, but I, I think that I think that a good, really really good version of Flash Gordon, and, and I think a serious version. I think a, a, a serious space opera, big scale thing would be so much fun to watch. And I think yeah. because um, there is so much there to the Flash Gordon story, in terms of there's all this material to mine um, that a lot of people just don't know, and I think that could be a lot of fun. But you'd have to do. You'd have to you'd have to be careful that we don't run into the same thing that you and I have a bazillion times mentioned. <laughs> um, that you know you if you don't market it properly, you're going to end up with John Carter. Yeah, uh, a film that while it is not perfect, certainly um, deserved so much better than it got. Yeah, Ro- um, Robert says, "Hail Brian, blessed." Yes, no kidding. And who, and who would do the who would do the music? Well, let's yeah. be honest. Uh, that's a really good question, and I'm I have I have some 
thoughts? Up until a couple of weeks ago, I'd have suggested maybe Daft Punk, but <laughs> that's such um, a missed no. opportunity, though. They could have they could have recast Daft Punk and put a couple of new musicians in there and done the whole Dread Pirate Roberts with Daft Punk. Somebody on social media and, did the two, like the old version of the Cylon and the new version of the Cylon. They said R.I.P. Was, Daft yeah, Punk. Yeah, something like that. I've, <laughs> seen, like, that's I've seen Mandalorians. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think for, but honestly, um, a band like Muse, they already lean into a science fiction mm-hmm. style uh, riff in their videos. I think they could actually do a lot of fun. And, and there's some, every now and again, they go super epic. So that could be a thought. But there's, that, that's a really good question. We should ponder. I have, I have seen, um, there, was a, there was a music video that Ariana Grande did. Where she's on I, some kind of a princess on another planet type of motif. Mm. Uh, I know Janelle Monet leans heavy into science Janelle fiction would be a and lot of the fun. dystopian you stuff. Do some cool stuff. That could be a pretty interesting combination. See, that would, there. That's what you do is you get the all star soundtrack. You yeah. get all the folks oh. who really lean into this stuff, and you basically have like, you know, just let it open and blow it up. Yeah. I mean, because. You're not going to get Queen, Queen makes a cameo on the FM radio in the car. Uh, to be perfectly honest, Brian May is still <laughs> kicking around and he can still make that guitar just yeah. sing. So I'd say bring him in, bring him in for at least the guitar solo. And um, uh, what's a, a, a new version of from... Flesh Gordon. I'm pretty mm. sure that that's, that's available on multiple <laughs> platforms. Um, but how do you do a serious version of that? I mean, <laughs> you, you kind of yeah. don't, do you? Oh, how about they might be giants doing the soundtrack for a Flash Gordon? Honestly, that would be so much <laughs> fun. It would probably not go with a completely serious version of it, but it'd be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that the one that just keeps leaping up in my mind, um, and it would not be it would not be a film version. You do it as a mini series. You do it as a prestige series over on. Uh, HBO or, or Showtime, um, or maybe even Netflix or some of these other folks if they're, will, they're willing to put the money into it. But it is a new version of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Now, hear me out because there's an instant response here. It's an Alan Moore project. You know, he's the guy behind it. He is, of course, well, it is very clear that Alan Moore projects are not right. You know, he has. He has no interest in being involved with them, but it's such a rich. Who was going to do that? Weren't they? They were working on that because we talked about that. And oh, I, I had, good I had heard, something, we heard something about it, but I don't think it, it. We've heard anything else since. And let me let me look because I want to see how far back that was because that was that was quite a ways back. Um, but if you've never seen the film, first of all, you're not missing anything except for the fact that it's Sean Connery's last performance on camera. He did some voiceover work um, for some really bizarre commercials later. But he's, I mean, this is the film that killed his interest in making movies anymore. This was it. He got into a fist fight with the director on the set. And it's an utter bastardization of the source material. Um, And it's it's the kind of thing, the closest we've gotten to it was the first season of Penny Dreadful. And as much as I love the original Penny Dreadful run, those three seasons, the first season captured that tone uh, the most because it's a bunch of people who don't like each other forced to band together to save the world. And I think it would be 
really, really fantastic. In fact, you could take the cast of Penny Dreadful and give an amazing League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, and I think that would be just absolutely that was fantastic. our That was our fifth episode from all the way back. And that's one of our missing episodes. Yeah. The oh, file, okay, the sure. file is gone. Um, yeah, I just, so. I think that would be, but the thing is, is that it simply wouldn't work as a movie. And yeah. that's part of the problem with the film itself is that it has got too many things happening in too short a period of time. And consequently they chop out huge chunks of the story and spoiler alert for the first two arcs of a comic, which has been you know, out for oh, quite a while now. Yeah. Um, the first one is basically, uh, dealing with Professor Moriarty getting in charge of the British Secret Service, bad things happen. And the second one is Mars invades. You've got two <laughs> amazing seasons right there. And it's all... and, and Well, and we had come and, up with the idea of doing, uh, doing the 80s update because we well, had talked about, you know, it, when if you continue forward... Because, you know, you're starting in the Victorian era in the, in the 1800s and you could go forward in, in, your, in your, all of your different archetype characters, you know, your Indiana Jones and your John Carter and whatever. And we had this idea of the 80s characters that would make up that era's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I can't remember exactly who we had on that team, yeah, but I think, see, I think Magnum might have been thing. on there. I don't remember. Since I think since that episode, the final arc of League came out in comic book form. And um, in many ways, it's an example of Alan Moore going, I would like to let you all know that I'm <laughs> sick of all of this and I don't want to do it anymore. And completely fine. You know, I mean, that's his, he's, he's doing what yeah. he's doing. He's got a movie that he's working on. He's worked on. I mean, there's all kinds of things he's got. He could do incredibly and amazingly talented guy. Comic books have not been kind to him as influential as he has been in comics. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a well-documented history of how <laughs> to screw over Alan Moore and, and for him to let you know that he's aware of it. Um, but, this would be a case where the tinkering and the temptation to do a brand new version of the end of his run, which you could get away with because, you know, he's not going to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> now, but uh, I'm pretty sure that when you get into the rights issues, considering Harry Potter becomes the Antichrist in the latter arc of this, the, I think the fourth arc of the, the fifth, fifth arc of the series, something like that. It's the second to last arc of, of the entire run. <laughs> um, and he is, spoiler alert, um, defeated by Mary Poppins. Pretty sure the legal departments <laughs> would be a bit unhappy. Well, I mean, you could do that as a pastiche, you wouldn't necessarily have to do. Oh yeah. No, the Harry name, Potter. the names are filed off, Yeah, but there's no illusion about who these people are. Yeah. So it's Mary, Mary Poppins is the representative of God. Um, 
the of boy who lived has become the become the antichrist because he realizes his entire life is basically scripted and um yeah there's there's the latter part of the league of extraordinary gentlemen the entire run there's a there's a hint of some bitterness towards modern pop culture that comes through from alan moore from alan moore <laughs> i know it's a shock but but if nothing else like i said the first two the first two uh series yeah could would could just be amazing to see and i think that um, the, the effects, we have the skill to do the effects. We have a sk the skill to recreate the world of the time. And I think in the hands of a really talented director and crew, all the great visual Easter eggs that are in the comic could actually, some of them could actually make their way to the screen. Mm -hmm. And so if you are a fan of 1800s fiction of course, it was actually a really rich period for storytelling. Um, you could work that stuff in there. That could be really fantastic. But I would love to see that. Whether or not, I mean, to be honest, the success of, of HBO's Watchmen makes it a little more likely, but I don't think it's going to happen. This is, this is, it's a remake I want, but I don't see happening. Yeah. Probably not. Mm-mm. It would be interesting to see, though. I know, but if you but in the meantime, folks, check out the first three seasons of Penny Dreadful, the original series. It's the entire run. Um, the the L.A. based one, which I think was really really interesting and had some neat concepts, never quite gelled for me. But. Yeah, and and um, Sam did uh, workups. Uh, mm -hmm. tr uh, um, um, what am I trying to say here? Uh, recaps. Yep. of that and uh he he thought i think he liked it fairly well but you know it's again it's one of those things where if you don't get the execution just so then you miss and you don't you, you can't stick the landing from there because you started off wrong and then you know your audience doesn't respond and they disappear on you and you you're kind of out of luck I think I think the biggest problem with the second series of Penny Dreadful was that it was too much of a departure, and I can completely understand why why the the, the creative folks did a different thing mm -hmm. because they told that story in in the Victorian era with those characters, and they wanted to move into a modern a more modern setting with a different set of characters and different things, but when you have the kind of show that does inspire that kind of excitement for, I mean, it was a huge, it was very, very popular. Um, and when you change so much, even, even in the interests of telling a new cool story, it doesn't always work. Does right. fans don't always react to that, which leads me actually to a horror remake. Um, Halloween three, which I actually like the movie. I'm, I'm, there's, there's, so if you're not familiar with what happened after the Halloween films, Halloween one and two was supposed to be a complete story. We're done. Right. And then Halloween three was going to be the beginning of a series of new horror films that was essentially going to be a film anthology series. Every Halloween film would be a new story unconnected to anything that came before. And so they did Halloween three, which has got, 
the killer Halloween masks in it and the threat of many, many children dying terribly on Halloween night. <laughs> and it did not do well. And fans of the first two films were like, what have you done? And was that was that more a, a, a consequence of not explaining it properly going into it? Was it not when one of this like we talked about the marketing oh. of it? Was it just not people didn't know I mean, what it was supposed to be? The we we it's easy to forget how because how prevalent it is that we know all these things about all these projects all the time because the internet is instant everything. Yeah, this was the eighties. That was not a thing. And so it would be really, really easy for the for the general public to miss what was happening that the mm -hmm. horror fans might know about. It. The horror fans probably saw read something about it in Fangoria or, you know, um, Monsters of Filmland or something in the in that line. But the general public, the the broader horror audience who's not picking those magazines up, no clue whatsoever. Yeah. So it with the success of bringing back the Halloween franchise and with the plans of the filmmakers to put an end to it, this is it. We're going to, we've got a, you know, our beginning and our end with the original crew the, or the original cast and, and making the, as much as you can, obviously. Um, and he, you're going to tell a story and that in many ways could potentially open up the idea of an anthology Halloween series again, where you tell yeah. a different story, every film and an evil, an evil toy designer, an evil mask designer, with dealing with stuff from the you know um, Celtic mythology and and just an evil genius murderer thing. There's kind, there's some cool things you could do with this to yeah. traumatize yourself on Halloween, um, and I think it's got potential for a remake. Speaking of Starlog, we have a con uh, a comment on our 175th episode that mm. just arrived uh, three hours ago now. Uh, Starpod Log, uh, they they said excellent video. We love Starlog magazine too, and that's on our discussion of Starlog and the old Shazam. Mm -hmm. And then we have a comment on last week's show. Great intelligent discussion. Don't let it go to your head. <laughs> Never do. Uh, but we do appreciate comments uh, on on stuff guys. like that. So, and we are very very close to. Uh, well, no, we're over. We're over sixteen hundred subscribers now. We're now sitting at sixteen ten. So we crossed that threshold over the weekend. So, but I think with, with Halloween, you also run the risk because they did a Friday the 13th television series anthology that had absolutely nothing to do with the Friday the 13th movies. And right. it was more, uh, I guess nowadays your modern era iteration of that would be something like Warehouse 13, right. which would kind of be a remake of... Friday the Thirteenth, um, and I, I, it just I, it just hit me. There's thirteen in the title of each of those shows, so I wonder if that's that's on all purpose. It's, 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 it's all shared. All news, I know it's Wold. We really we really do need to do an episode on Wold Newton sometime. Yeah, the Wold the, the 
or two or three. I was going to say just one. <laughs> That'd be an extended, an extended week long episode. It's like we get into, you know, we finished the first episode and we've talked about the first 10 years and it's just like, <laughs> you know, what we ought to do is put out a call to the various different authors and the people that we've, that we've interviewed and had contact with over the, over the, over the, the last 10 years. And, See who would be interested mm. in doing a a day long discussion of the Wold Newton universe. We just start. We do we do Good Morning Multiverse, and then we'll flip the switch, and then we go the entire day, and we'll just talk Wold Newton all day <laughs> as this extended long panel, and see what happens. And it can be a come and go party. You know, you we'll say, just we'll just set it up and say, "Here's the link. Come in and talk about Wold Newton all day." That would be a trip. That would be fun. Well, and and I think that you know, there's an example there that a lot of the Wold Newton characters are characters who have had various iterations mm-hmm. uh, in in films. So we've had multiple versions of Tarzan. You've had multiple versions of you know James um, Bond. Very superhero titles. Very you know, science fiction titles. Buck Rogers. Um, you know, there, a lot of this stuff, these recurring kind of archetypal characters that mm-hmm. pop up, you know, and get remade again and again and again. Um, and I think that to some degree, there's a distinction here between the stuff that this is a film that was made 60 years ago. You know, it's you're you're bringing a, a this archetypal character to a new audience. That's a different kind of remake than going in and saying. Can we please have a good Doom movie? Is that a possibility? Dune or Doom? Doom. Doom. Like I'm what, I got my fingers game, crossed the on the good game? Dune movie, but yeah. I want a good Doom movie. I mean, this is one of the most popular video games of all time. The story built into the video game, clearly, I mean, you know, this is like... It's zombies versus space soldiers, right? Well, it's... it's No, a, a, a poor... The... Sci- Man dabbles in things he was not meant to know. Of and course. portals to hell are opened on Mars. <laughs> and this soldier has to go in, the, you know, the doom soldier has to go in and take, you know, stop these demonic hordes from emerging from, you know, getting off Mars and heading to Earth. Mm. And it's one man against the hordes of hell. I mean, this is... You need a how, d- how do you screw this up? Well, congratulations. They've done it like three or four times now with, between uh, what the, the original film with, with The Rock. Yeah. Carl Urban and The Rock, and they managed to muck it up. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's just not, well, an, it's not this an adaptation. Last one, this last one apparently had a female lead. So the problem with the last one, uh, which I've seen... Um, is a they didn't have anywhere near enough money <laughs> like like many many millions yeah. uh short of what they needed for the budget um and I, the the actors were okay the late i can't remember the name of the actress who played the lead she was fine the problem is that the script was just it was very pedestrian yeah i mean it was kind of like here's here's the stock parts to build a story out of and oh she's got a troubled past and oh she's got a relationship with this guy and oh so, here's the nerdy character a lot of okay. a lot of stereotypes and tropes yeah yeah wow. 
I mean, it, they they made they made a conscious attempt to make a couple of the monsters look like the game, which is more than the big budget feature did. Um, so, I mean, it's it's rife for a good remake. It's rife for a good big science fiction horror film. But you'd make it like you'd basically do Aliens, and then cross it with Event Horizon. Oh, okay, yeah. And and then then sit there and go. There's no such thing as too much blood. Just, you know, a quarter of the budget is for, you know, the red stuff. And just go. I mean, and and let it be crazy. I mean, it's based on a video game. Get it, you know, there's there, there's a long history of making video games, game films poorly. Um, but in many ways, I mean, you're kind of, you look at something like Event Horizon, which of course is getting a remake as a TV series. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are Warhammer 40,000 fans who are fans who think that, you know, it's set in the same universe because of the recurring kind of visuals and themes. To some degree, you could put Doom in that exact same aesthetic. So, oh, sure. And you know what? If you wanted to, bring Carl Urban back. Let him be the Doom soldier. He made best best Judge Dredd we've ever had. Yeah, and that's not a remake. I want. I want a sequel. Oh yeah, and there are a lot of people that would agree with you on that. And we were supposed to get a series. Remember, we we're going to get yeah. either a sequel or a TV series, and all that stuff seems to have. Well, and I'd heard that the sequel would even have a a, a cameo from from Stallone. And these it are all just things we has happened. This, but we can't have nice things. No. Right? Therefore, so I mean, and that stuff could still happen. And the the sad fact is, is for all the fact that the people who really who got to see Dread um, really really liked it. Yeah. Unfortunately, there just weren't enough of them. One of these yeah. days, maybe. Yeah. You never know. I, I, and I don't know. It's it's you look at something, and I can't remember. Where that came out, was it really? Was it really pre? It wasn't really pre Game of Thrones, was it? It feels like Game of Thrones yeah. was on forever. I think it was. Was was uh, was that was Netflix, wasn't it? Dread. Yeah. No, Where did that come out? Or was I that? I can't remember who made made Dread. Right, um, let me look. But uh, um, you know, having. Um, you know, there's some definite tie-ins you could make with the folks who uh, uh, were Game of Thrones fans. All right, I'm looking here. Dread was in 2012. And... Was he not... Oh, I guess he wasn't in... Why was I thinking that he was in Game of Thrones? He wasn't. He was in the Lord of the Rings stuff. All right, so Game of Thrones. Okay, so Dread was 2012, right in the midst of all of the Star Trek stuff. Got Lena Headley. Lena Headley was the bad guy in Dread. Game of Thrones started in 2011. Okay, so yeah, right, pretty much right at the same time. Yep. So yeah, Lena Headley, of course, uh, they'd really just market it up that Lena Headley was the bad guy in that. You could have well, had and her. she was she was Sarah Connor. Lena yeah. Headley was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, she's done some fantastic genre work. She's a big genre fan. 
But yeah, Carl, uh, Carl Urban, uh, Rachel Wood, Lena Headley. It was a really well done. It was a, it was a good cast. Yeah. But. So what else should we remake? If we're oh, if we're God. casting our net far and wide, what would you what else would you see? I mean, well, we might actually get this, and, and I have no advanced knowledge like anybody else. But the fact that we're getting a new Batman film series means potentially we could actually get another take on Catwoman. Well, which that might be part of the Gotham City series that HBO potentially, is gonna do. potentially, and I think that quite frankly, any any good take on Catwoman uh, because, and, and you know what, have Holly Berry make a cameo and that's, you know, get, like, have her be in the movie playing, playing a main character, have her play the bad guy. I don't care. Give her a chance to be in a good Catwoman movie. <laughs> Holly Berry, you're great. Uh, well, but that film was just such a, I mean, it was such a misfire. That's assuming, so that's assuming that anything comes out of um, the Matt Reeves thing, because if, if, if the rumors are true, this could be a one and done with Pattinson because possibly I, you have you you've heard you've heard what happened. I have not heard the latest what happened. <laughs> so, and I've seen this reported in several different places. So it's it's coming from multiple outlets reporting this. Mm. Some of them a little more credible than others, but it, the story is generally the same. So Zoe Kravitz. <clears throat> who plays Catwoman, mm -hmm. apparently is now pregnant. These things happen. And Pattinson's father. Oh. And it happened on the hood of the Batmobile at night after they finished shooting, and Matt Reeves caught them. And apparently Matt Reeves and, and Robert Pattinson have not been getting along. Uh, the word is that uh, Reeves' choice for Batman was Nicholas Holt. And Pattinson was foisted upon the production from the studio and apparently has not impressed Reeves at all. This, this could very easily be a one shot and done and finished and, and Reeve never comes back. Now he's got the TV show, the Gotham city police TV show, which could be Gotham central. Mm -hmm. Which should be, it should be, Gotham it should central. be, but Gotham should have been Gotham central also. And it wasn't now. What <laughs> was Gotham? Has, oh. any, has anyone ever actually answered that question? Uh, no. A fever dream, something like that. I tell you. Although I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say, Gotham did give us two good bits. Sean Pertwee as Alfred, and Donald Logue as uh, Bullock. Bullock. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. I, 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 I would agree with that. I could also say that uh, Cameron Bicondova did really well as a, as a very young Selena. And I credit her dance training with, with that more than anything else, because she was able to move the, her, the movement that she put into that character, uh, flowed a lot. There was a lot of, a lot of, you know, I don't want to say slinky because she was young, but you know, it, that, that fluidity, that mm -hmm. you get with dance. 
And right. that always impressed me. And she did pretty pretty well as an actor too. But you know that that whole thing felt you know really organic to that character that she brought that in. But yeah, uh, Sean Pertwee, spot on, Alfred. Especially if you're considering him an, uh, the the Batman of Earth uh, uh, Batman Earth One that came out here not too long ago. I think Jeff Johns wrote it, mm-hmm. where he's the ex spy. And, and which, that, is, which is actually yeah. canon in the main universe. He's yeah. just, uh, he was in the, what various aspect of, of British secret service. He had an intelligence background. Uh, Robert says in the eighties, I recall New York was Metropolis and Chicago was Gotham. Kind of. Um, as I remember it. And from looking at maps that were published in the pages of DC comics, uh, Metropolis is essentially New York City, or just north of there, and Gotham was across the water in New Jersey. Ish. Ish. And Smallville is down where Hutchinson, Kansas is, actually. Because that's, well, and, that, and, and that's canon as far as the, the directions and the maps and the whatever. They sit there and they go, here it is, right here. Here's the proof. Well, and, and to some degree, DC was trying to basically say these these stories take places in in these. This is not New York. Clearly, yeah. this is not New York. We can now, do whatever we want to this city. Now, New York was used for the movies. Oh, sure, of course, as Metropolis. But you know, the Statue of Liberty is not in Metropolis. Right. That That's always true. bugged me. It's like, why are they in New York? Because. It's a lot easier to shoot in New York and you sit there and go, yeah. these are clearly the New York skyline and this is clearly the New York things and this is clearly, so therefore. Yeah. Now, Gotham, yeah, you're right, right. Gotham Gotham was modeled more after Chicago, I think, in terms of what kind of city it was, you know, the gangsters and the mobs and, and all that. But it, 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 as far as geographic location, it's always been up on the East Coast in the New Jersey area, I thought. And yet, strangely, leaning into some of the architectural styles of, say, Philadelphia. Yeah, uh, some of the older architectural styles. I like um, the I like the gargoyles and the uh, and the other, you know, the other Art Deco stuff that you get in the animated series. Oh, sure. Well, it's because you get to you get to design the city the way you want it to look. Yep. You're not constrained by the actual physical limitations of the city that you're shooting in. Um. Speaking of designing things with sort of an Art Deco feel, hmm. Wild Wild West. <laughs> would you do a remake of Wild Wild West? So here's what I would... Okay, so... <laughs> no. What I would do <laughs> is I would do a movie adaptation of the TV series Wild <laughs> Wild West. Because, as we all know, there has never been a movie yeah. adaptation of... Oh, wait, there was. So... Yeah. And I have to say there's it's an incredibly uncomfortable scene and it is not aged well. Uh and there's a lot of reasons to hate the scene with a passion. But there is something about Will Smith and Kenneth Branagh being just horrid to each other for like 3 minutes straight. Mhm that you can at least admire the fact that these two guys leaned into this awful, awful scene as well as they did that said. And I don't even, so, so there's things about the things about the wild, wild West movie, 
are not actually the cast. You look at that cast. You had Kenneth Branagh as the villain. Mm-hmm. Will Smith, of course, he's an amazing. He's you know the incredible movie stars. Kevin Jim Klein. West, Kevin Klein. Selma, Selma Hayek. Hayek. There is a there is a cast here, and they were completely let down by yeah. some lazy, lazy writing. I mean, especially at that time period, Selma Hayek was worth watching. You know, you could just watch her read the phone book for anything. Well, and and but. Will Smith was basically in a position where. Oh, Will Smith is in it. Yeah, it's box office hit, and and Kevin Klein is you know amazing actor, and Kenneth Branagh. This was this was relatively shortly after he had really exploded onto the scene with his Shakespearean adaptations, right? Uh, doing Dead Again, um, and I mean these this was this was a star. Uh, and Dead Again was a pretty cast. good movie. Hmm? Dead Dead Again was a good movie. Oh, I thought, yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic I thought it was film. Really and it's very much, it very much leans into a lot of classic filmmaking styles, things that, you know, there's a whole lot of Orson Welles and, yeah. and Alfred Hitchcock baked into that storytelling. But a Wild West movie, Wild Wild West film, because while the film pushed it too far, there is, there's steampunk in the Wild West, Wild Wild West TV show, mm-hmm. but it was never to the exaggerated level we got in the movie. Right. Well, and I and I I re- remember seeing. I think it was an interview an interview Kevin Smith did once, where he was talking about Superman, mm-hmm. and this is back when Joel Silver had the rights. And Joel Silver was talking to Kevin Smith and they were working on the Superman script and Silver wanted this mechanical spider in the Superman movie. And he also, he also wanted Superman to fight a polar bear. Yeah. And, and Kevin Smith was like, um, no, that, um, what? And of course the whole, the whole project fell apart, but then the wild, wild west comes out and Smith, uh, he's talking about, you know, going to see it. And he sees the mechanical spider. He says, oh, okay, Silver got his mechanical spider finally. But I'm thinking, why in the world is there a mechanical spider in this movie? I don't think I have ever even sat and, and watched the entire thing all together because I saw, I saw clips of the mechanical spider and I said, well, that looks dumb. Yeah, why would I bother with that? I mean... Yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. It, the production value on the film, especially for the time, mm-hmm. was pretty good. Um, I mean... Kevin Klein as Artemis Gordon, that's that's good casting. Oh, I'm not yeah. sure I would have done Will Smith as as Jim West, but you know, because well, I, I because think, the time period doesn't fit for Well, it, it and that, it, that it could. And they even it's an so one of the problems with the film is that they both they both leaned into the fact that the hero of this story is a black man during this time period. Mm-hmm. And yet they didn't. Yeah. So they leaned into the easy, lazy stuff. So the obvious racism stuff was played up. And that, that scene between Kenneth Branagh uh, playing uh, Loveless, one of the great villains of the TV series, um, who is just died in the wool, blatantly the South will rise again racist character here. Right. And then, of course, Jim West. So Loveless is 
in this version has lost everything from his waist down. He's just, there's nothing there anymore. He's basically, you know, half machine at this point. And so West is doing height jokes and Loveless is doing racist jokes. And like I said, I mean, this is just so, it's so cringy. And yet you watch these two really, really talented actors mm-hmm. go, well, this is what we've got to work with. Yeah. So let's just go. And if, like I said, it's just, it's a, it's a horrible, horrible scene, but you have to tip your hat to the two really good actors who are going, this is what they're paying us for. So last week we had uh, Mark Cushman on. Uh, live from the bunker. He's he's written a number of what he calls biographies of TV shows. He's done three mm-hmm. volumes about uh, Lost in Space. He's now up to six volumes on Star Trek. He's done a volume right. about I Spy, and he's done one on Twenty Thousand Leagues Under uh, uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Irwin mm-hmm. Irwin Allen stuff. And I was asking him if there were any that he really wanted to dig into. You know, the the question came up and he says, I'd really love to do a book about the wild, wild west and do a history of that, you know, that comprehensive history. Because he says that show didn't really find its footing until Fred Freiberger came on as a producer. He said they went through something like 12 producers in the first season. Mm. It was an, uh, it was an amazing number. I was like, how did this show even survive? Um, and he says Fred Freiberger kind of gets a bad rap about season three for Star Trek. But when you look at the stuff that he did on Wild Wild West, he essentially saved that show. And Kutchman was saying that if he could get his hands on the documents, the studio mm-hmm. notes and the memos and the scripts and all these other things, he could do a, he could do a book on that. And I think it would be really interesting to see. Because you could also, depending on how much access you could get, you could do a compare and contrast. Here's the show. Here's what happened with the movie. Here's how it went horribly, horribly wrong. You know, that kind of thing. Well, um, I, can t- I can tell you what happened with the movie. It was Joel Silver. Yeah. It's just, for, somebody, for somebody who had as much power as he had, and, and to not knock the really great projects, he was produced oh yeah he's got got he's got a good track record when he got it wrong (laughs) he got it wrong and this is one of those films and and quite frankly modern audiences and and that interesting thing the closest thing we've ever got to a revival of wild wild west was briscoe county jr Mm. yeah i can see that it too leaned into that sort of Cross the Western with a steampunk futuristic kind of thing. Yeah. And there's a lot you can see baked into the DNA of Briscoe County Jr., somebody who watched Wild Wild West and said, Yeah, but wouldn't it be cool if? Mm-hmm. And there you go, by the way. There's another one we could get a revival of. Give me a give me a new version of Briscoe County Jr with as much of the original cast showing you, then it's the next generation, right? You bring back as much of the original cast as you can so that they can, you know, you don't want to sit there and go, it's, it's, it's Briscoe County junior, junior. Junior. (laughs) Or Briscoe County. Twist it around. It's the daughter of Briscoe County junior and give Melanie Scrifano. And she, so, so 
if I have if I have to lose Winona Earp, mm-hmm. casting Melanie Scrifano as Briscoe County's daughter. <laughs> I will take this. Make it happen. Oh. See, and bring that, me my check, Hollywood. I just gave you. I just gave you gold. Well, and see the thing. The thing is, with something like that, any time, and especially in this day and age, and you and I could go around and around on this, but in this day and age, where the culture is such that if you gender swap anything, well, that's why you don't gender swap it. You literally make her the next generation, and you have. I know, you know but like, some people would sit there and still say, "Oh, well, of course you're going to make her a girl." You know, that, you know, that kind people, of thing. So some people need to recognize that some of our amazing, wonderful actors get too old to play the parts. And, and quite frankly, this way you have those amazing, wonderful actors still on the show yeah. and you haven't recast them with people who might be better, but the fans <laughs> may not feel that way. You're, you, it's, you can't win. Oh, I know. I know. What about a revival of Gunsmoke? So I mean, that's not genre, but... Something. Uh, you know, it's a Western. I mean, the problem with Gunsmoke, I think, is that when that show first came on the air, there were people, like my mom, mm-hmm. who grew, had still grown up on farms in quantity. Yeah, Ranches were still, you know, this kind of lifestyle was not a distant memory. And I think that if you don't it would have to be written so very well. Mm-hmm. I think I think you could do it. I think you could do it as like a miniseries, sure, or a western film. But doing a a, a full run series of it, I think, would be a real challenge for modern audiences. And I think until the western comes back around as a real, and the farther we get from the cowboy lifestyle, okay, here's how the harder it becomes. Here's how you would do something like that if you're going to do a western, and you could do. Maybe, maybe some steampunk aesthetic into this as well. You do a TV series of Quigley Down Under. Because then you still have the frontier because there's a lot of unsettled wilderness land in Australia. You're not too far out from the movie. And, and a lot of people didn't see the movie. A lot of people didn't see the movie. The movie's good. I, I thought it was, I thought it was, you know, it, it was a is fun actually movie. a deeper film than you expect it to be yeah which i was really i was really pleased with and not to mention you get i think part of that was that people saw magnum pi in a western and they they didn't connect right well and that's that's part of the fact this is magnum what's he doing in a western yeah well, he became, he became so well known for that role that it was really hard to separate it from him until later in his career in which he's done quite a bit that's definitely not magnum pi um, a, a Disney film that I want them to remake and I'm afraid of them remaking. <laughs> this is a thing I want really badly. Yeah. And yet I fear it with all my heart. Um, the Black Cauldron. Ooh, why would you want to oh, remake that? Because I've read the books. And uh, okay. so it's based on the Chronicles of Pride Day. Right by Lloyd Alexander, and this is um, it's inspired by Welsh Welsh mythology, mm. and it is the story of Taryn, who's the character in the animated film, right. the main character, 
Um, he's completely whiny and ineffective in the movie. Uh, <laughs> and he's a really terrible hero. Um, and to some degree in the book, that is in fact how he starts out. Right. But by the end of the series, spoiler alert for a 40 year old book series, which you should read anyway, and read to your kids. This is actually, this is a series that is written for young adults, but it's also written for young adults who are not, he's not writing down to the audience. Death happens. Death, the characters deal with death. They deal with betrayal. They deal right. with loss. Um, it's handled in a mature way that younger audiences can understand. It's, it's geared toward teens and up. No. But it's also the kind of storytelling that adults can really appreciate because it's got a mythic quality. It's a hero's journey kind of story. But it basically tells the story over five novels of the of magic leaving the world and the rise of a pig farmer to being the king of the land. Okay. Over five novels. Mm-hmm. This is an epic film series in the making. <laughs> it's got demonic villains. It's got um, music. There's a one of the characters that it, it's he's in. He's in the Black Cauldron too. Um, he's a lot younger in the books than the old guy, uh, 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 Flirt or Flan, right? Uh, the harp, the 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 lyrist. Um, Gurgi exists in the book. Um, and you don't want to drown him in the river because he's irritated. The, the, film is, the film is an example of the kind of animated features Disney was making at the time. Yeah. The problem is they kind of forced parts of two, I think two books into this hybrid mutant thing that they released as the Black Cauldron. And it's a shame because... It is a really rich uh, literary world. And quite frankly, I've been dying to see. I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing you could make as a series of films that are. Take the, take the Enola Holmes model, okay, that Netflix did. Right. Right. You have six books in the series. They adapted one of them. They made some pretty significant changes to the book. But it's a, it's, it, they kept the thematic, what mattered thematically. Right. There's an audience for that. Netflix, they're like, we're making a sequel because people like this movie. Do the same thing with this, but start with the first book. Mm-hmm. Don't start with the Black Cauldron is not it's not the first book. Don't don't do that. <laughs> so Mindy's asking about the last unicorn. Um, I why would you remake it? I the writer know. of the book wrote the script to the movie, and it is one of the best most faithful film adaptations you could have. I don't know and that if you, you haven't would. seen the film, shame on you. Go watch it. I, it is. I think I've seen the film. I, 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 yeah, I think Mindy sent me down one day and, and we now if they, it. if they are, no, I can see why someone would want to do it as a live action film. And my, I think you would run into the same problems that you run into with the animated version. No, because there aren't that many problems with the film. But if you're a fan of the book, you know that there are some descriptions of the unicorn 
that make you realize that this magical creature only translated into film even as an animated unicorn so far there's a it's not quite otherworldly mm-hmm. enough and i think that i don't i just don't know that i would trust a film studio to get that right yeah. and even then say they did it's such a subjective thing from reading the book what that means to you that you're going to automatically fans some fans are going that's amazing and other people are going to going no that's not right at all right <laughs> would you let me, uh, along those lines would you remake the never ending story so here's the question do you remake the never ending story the movie or you do a do a new adaptation of the book because the book it's like the first two thirds of the book uh-huh. is what the first movie is. They never made a version of the last third of the book where the hero goes off the rails. <laughs> well, of course, and not. becomes horrible. That would be so, a different kind of movie. It'd not be a completely for kids. different kind of film. Yeah, and I think that uh, I think so. You could do you could do that, that as a series, a limited series, probably. Well, and I think that you would do that would be a case where you would probably say we're going to remake the film. Because I think that the folks, the the people who grew up with the original film. And I mm. think that while there were sequels, the one that we all think of is the original film. Yeah. Um, but I think it is, that's an example of the film had the impact. The book didn't have that same footprint for audiences. Right. Kind of like um, the princess bride. Everybody oh, yeah. knows the movie and people don't, don't realize that it's based on a book. Well, and you know, the, the, the thing that, that works with the princess bride is that they chopped out the meta commentary about chopping out, about a commentary in the book. I mean, it's in the book that this is. Yeah. And I translated this book from this. I mean, it's, it's all, it's, it's a really great framing sequence for the book. It simply didn't translate, wouldn't translate into film. And so they cut it out. I'm still curious. I'm still curious to see what they, what, what Buttercup's baby would look like on film, (laughs) you know, cause where's that story? Um, Mindy, they are remaking the wizard of Oz. Uh, I don't Which, know if uh, if anybody really has caught that news or not, but yes, they've got they've hired a screenwriter, I believe. We actually had had that news on Good Morning Multiverse here not too long ago. There's, I think they've got a writer or they've got a director, one or the well, other. Because in, in fairness, in fairness to the classic film that that of course everybody thinks of when they think of the film version, it's not a terribly faithful adaptation of the source material. No, well, it's a, it, it in broad strokes it is for the parts of the book that it includes because there's a lot of that book that's not in the movie. I mean, yeah, sure. the, the Ruby slippers aside, you have a lot of story in that book. That's not in that movie. And indeed uh, the question is, but yes, will it be dark? Well, it kind of has to be if you tell the Tin Woodman's true story. Yeah. Well, if you, if you tell all of that, because you know, in the 
what was that? Are they in the, the poppy field? And they meet the uh, gophers or groundhogs or moles or I don't even remember what what creature it is. They're talk they're talking animals, and they talk about you know dark times and so it, it's a it it is a dark book. But of course, it's an allegory for actual political and economic theory of the time. You know, the, there's a there's a whole. There's a whole thing about, you know, the yellow brick road and the gold and the silver and money and, and politics all, and all, all of, of which that. you don't need to know to to enjoy the book or the film. But no. I, I think that that and I think that I think that would actually surprise a lot of people that if you were to do a fairly faithful adaptation of the book, how dark some of the storytelling is yeah. and how much the, the beloved versions of the characters that we we've we've come to love from from adaptations like that are not that way in the book. Right. The cowardly lion is not cowardly in the book. Well, and we did an adaptation when I was when we were living up in uh, in St. Joseph, uh, which is where the 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 Pony Express was headquartered. We were part of a theater. My my first wife and I, before James was born, we were part of a theater company up there. And we did radio play adaptations. And one of the things that we did, we did an original adaptation. And, and it would be like a staged reading. So like right, if uh-huh. you, you yeah. take the take the audience into the radio station, right? And we're all standing up there and we're reading our scripts. And you've got the sound effects table over there. Kind of like what Alien Voices did with Leonard Nimoy and John Delancey. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the ones we did, I did an original adaptation of The Wizard of Oz. And as I'm reading the book because this is now the first time I'm reading the book. I knew there was differences in the between the movie and the book. <laughs> and I'm going through here and I'm thinking, okay, if we do this and we come up on stage and we start doing all of this, people are going to get really confused and they're going to go, that's, wait, is this? So we kind of did a hybrid adaptation mm. of, the book and the movie. So we took pieces sure. from both. Uh, we did the silver slippers, not the, not the Ruby slippers. Um, and then we took, we took other, other elements of the book and put it in, but you know, that and, and the amount of time that it would take to do the entire, the entire story as a show, we didn't have that kind of time. So I kind of, I kind of had to pick and choose, but yeah, the, the movie and the book are, different enough that if you were to do an adaptation you know, I'm I'm curious with a with a with a side of dread right to sure. think of what the new Wizard of Oz adaptation is going to be because Hollywood I've said it before I will say it again Hollywood always learns the wrong lessons and if they're going to be making a new Wizard of Oz I'm uh, not optimistic about it because you it see what they did to, to uh, Wrinkle in Time. Wrinkle in Time was a disaster from, from what everybody says. It was, a, it was a bad movie. It was a bad adaptation. And nobody has ever gotten that movie right. Well, and I think that's, that's one of those stories that I think is just... I don't think anybody realizes how hard it is to adapt when they try and start making a new version of it. I think the biggest problem... They look at problem, the previous versions and they go, they did not get the message of the book or they didn't get the vibe of the book, they didn't get the tone, they didn't get the family, and then they get into the, it themselves 
and they discover that that it is a deceptively hard book to adapt. No, I don't. I don't. I don't agree. I think at its core, one of the challenges that those stories have going for them is the the message of faith. And I think Hollywood, as as corrupt and vain and narcissistic as they are, have no grand way... Grand sweeping statement. Yes, which I know, it's a grand, grand sweeping statement, but for the for most part... all the part, Christians that work regularly every day in Hollywood, I probably but, really appreciate those kind of comments. But, the, but that's not the kind of stories that Hollywood tells. Well, Hollywood but, but doesn't also, tell faith-based stories very well. And if you get a faith-based story... It's usually a smaller company, and it's a lower budget, and they don't have the you know the marquee names, and there's a there's a a, a, a skew to the perspective. And but except that I would argue very strongly, having read all the books in the series, I have too that the faith based aspects of the story don't come in the first book. But it build, it's, it but builds it's through there. The, it's but it's it's an underlying thing when you come into becomes, the whole love and it family becomes and all clear of that. as the series goes along but if you were if you grew up with that book and only read that book it's not obvious it's underlying and important to the story of the entire series of books right but in the first book it's not it's not it's not a prevalent theme what they what they don't get right in that film in any of the film versions. And what I think they got right in the audio version that we used to listen to on a record mm-hmm. in the library lying on the floor when I was a kid. Yeah. And I think it's something that actually is really hard to adapt is it's one thing to have the voice of these children and get a sense because you're, you're, you're doing it in your head and you get a sense of the children and their uniqueness and these entities that have come to help them find their father. Yeah. And you can, you've, your mind is making them. And when you hear the voice of what they're up against and you feel for the, the, the corruption of Calvin Wallace, mm-hmm. And you start to have all this stuff. It's your brain is doing the heavy lifting. And I just don't think for all the fact there's some really cool visuals in the new film, capturing that same feeling that I had lying on the, lying on the library carpet, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) listening. It's just, it's, it's so hard to do. And because you get to grow with the characters in the book series yeah, and grow with their, you know, uh, ultimately into when they become parents and the faith, the faith aspects of the book become part of the core of the storytelling. I, I just don't see, cause they haven't gotten it right yet. And I don't, it would take a really, really, really unique storyteller and this is not to knock the folks who've tried it and failed before because hey, you know You need to have you need to have a director and you need to have a screenwriter who's not cynical. 
because it, if, yeah. because <laughs> real life and the cynicism that comes with real life and and telling those stories that that comes into a lot of the approaches for a lot of these stories that should not have that. And and part I, of the problem is that it's a lot easier for some folks when when you're writing a novel you can dig into the characters in a way that even as an adult writing a child mm-hmm. character, it's a lot easier for you to dig into who that, the mind of that child, the heart of that child on the page. When you've only got five minutes to establish who this character is in a movie. And we have all, I think we've maybe been a bit too programmed <laughs> for the adorable, <laughs> precocious child. You know, ooh, Calvin Wallace is a genius. Yeah. It's like, oh, look. And so, and so they shorthand us because you've only got five minutes to establish that he's a genius. And so you don't get. But you do that now with a limited series instead of a movie. And I and think you have that that the time be, to play with that a little bit. I, that might be the only way to do it. But again, you'd have to really, you'd have to find, I, I, I it would require. And I'd have to think. I'd have to think about who, who we might have that we who we know is out there writing, who might be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, because off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody. That doesn't mean they're. I'm just. That's a failure of imagination on my part. Because um, there's some really talented writers out there right now doing some really fantastic stuff. But yeah. I think it'd be a real challenge. I mean, I'm. I'm not saying. I'm not saying I wouldn't love to see a really, really fantastic version. Um, because I would. Same reason. I mean, it, it was a book, and it was a series of books that I I loved growing up. Yeah, and I still love them. Um, I have somewhere around here, I have in my giant pile of paperbacks. Uh, I have the first two books. I've uh, I've got them somewhere. Um, I might be because I want a killer adaptation of Wind in the Door. Yeah. Well, all of them. Just, just do the whole thing. Just do the whole, the, the whole series. Yeah, I just you you sell you sell them on the first one. Mm-hmm. You give a you give a, a give us a solid first six episodes six episode series. Yeah, and don't, don't, don't keep it from getting scary, because it's there's there's a there are moments of fear in the book. Mm-hmm. And in the end, like I said, go back to the, go back to that, that, that listening to a record lying on the floor, um, that it's okay. It's okay to be scared. And, and, you know, this is, uh, this is one of those places where the fear I think is important to the storytelling. Yeah. I think, I, I, I think so too, because if you don't have that, then the recovery at the end the 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 resolution of it doesn't have as much of a uh, of an emotional impact. You don't you don't become fully invested in the end without that that fear element. And I think that maybe just maybe part of the problem with the previous adaptations is that culturally, and we've talked about this over on Foreign Bodies, um, American audiences, with rare exceptions. Um, really, really hate it when you put a child in real 
make it feel like you put a child in real danger. Yeah. And at the core of this story is three children, none of whom are that old, who are put in real, real horrific danger. And the book and, and allows you to be afraid for them. And American audiences, <clears throat> you get it more in horror. And this is, you would not, you would not do, you would not do A Wrinkle in Time as a horror, horror story. It has scary but it, elements. it has those sensibilities in places. Yeah. And I think that, and, and but I think that we may have, they may be, they may be afraid to put the kids in the kind of danger that if you read those books, you mm-hmm. feel. Maybe and you need maybe you need a a, a foreign uh, horror, like a South Korean horror director to take the project. Maybe a South Korean horror director or or one of the several of the French directors. I'd I'd be a little. The only the only issue I would have is that. Again, I'd have to really, really think about who, yeah, who to do it because I think that it's it's a series that could really be it's kind of, well it's kind of like the Chronicles of Pride. These are these are books that I grew up with that I think um, are amazing examples of literature for younger audiences and help build them into genre fans as they get older. Um, I yeah, I'm I'm still waiting for somebody to decide to adapt the last Legionary series by Douglas Hill. We haven't even gotten a first one of those, much less a remake. I would I if I had the money, I would make those films. Sci-fi for me original movies. <laughs> Let's do it. Crowdfund it. Start it next March. That's it. Yeah, I would be happy to take a stab at writing a script for the first uh, of the Chronicles of Friday novels. I'm pretty sure no one would give me the rights to it, but no. the budget would be Game of Thrones level. I want, you know, I wonder, I wonder who's got the rights to the last Legionary set now. There's four books and they're not very long. I may look into that. You never know. It could be one of those Stephen King deals where, you know, I'll buy that for a dollar and there you go. Who's the, who's the last publisher? Uh, I'd have to look. I have to look. I, I think the the books that I have, I don't think are the are the most recent uh, version of that. So, all right. So, how about next week we talk about Ta-Nehisi Coates writing Superman? Do you want to you want to go there? <laughs> you want to dive into that? The problem I have is that at this point, I just want a synopsis of the film before I care. Yeah. I mean, because this is this is and and this is you know I, I understand that there are people who are real happy about this, people who are unhappy about this, and the fact of the matter is, is I don't care. Yeah. I want to see what the script, what the story idea is like. Yeah, because a lot of people are making excites me. Yeah, a lot of people a, are making assumptions about what it could be because. Well, and you know, and you know what I think that quite frankly, if it's if it's a uh, Michael B. Jordan playing Superman. Fine. Calvin it, Ellis Superman because he even a, said a, to Oprah well, that that well, and it's a mar- it's a multiverse so no. knock yourself out give me a good, give me a cool Superman story with that with that version of Superman if it's Henry Cavill playing him again or a new actor fine give me a synopsis yeah. of the story and then I'll decide whether or not I this think writer who 
part some of, of this, some of this stuff I've read, uh, coach the stuff I've read, and I'm like, this is good. Some of it I haven't liked. Yeah. I, I don't have an emotional investment in being upset or excited about it either. Yeah, I think I think the big part of that is the if you're to do Calvin Ellis Superman to Earth twenty three, who is the Black Superman, then um, you have to introduce the idea of Earth twenty three first. Because if you if you suddenly do a movie with a black Superman and nobody knows, it's like it's like at the end of Solo when Darth Maul shows up and the people who haven't been watching Clone Wars sit there and go, how is he still alive? And it well, completely the is, is knocks the audience out of the movie. So but the thing is, is if they if that's the, the way they decided to go. There's an incredibly simple, elegant way to do it. Yeah, they put a it's little a cameo in Flashpoint. Yeah, and you've set up the universe. You see, you know, he's running through, and then you have like you see, you see Henry Cavill, you see, uh, you know, as many different Superman actors as you can get to just go boom, 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 boom. And there's, there's, you know, Michael B. Jordan in the suit, and you go ta-da, and there's your, there's yeah. your entry point. Yeah, you'd have to do it that way. So I mean, you know, I think that there's, you know, I. I get that people have strong opinions and I'm, it's like, okay, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, so we find something else to talk about next week. Tom. I mean, cause yeah, we can talk <laughs> about it. We can, yeah. you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be going, uh, yeah. I don't have a script. I don't even, I don't even, as long as it's not Superman flyby, I'm, I'm fine. Oh, I'll agree with you. That's, there. that's the part that concerns me more folks yeah. is the guy producing it. Because J.J. Abrams is very, very clever, and he's done some really, really cool stuff. And I'm a huge fan of Fringe, which he was behind. And you know, there's he's done he's responsible for some very clever things. But, but yeah, you know, if he gets it right, he gets it right. If he gets it wrong, he doesn't get it right very often. He can't stick the landing. And, he's terrible well, at endings. The problem. Some of his things just go on too long. <laughs> yeah. They're one season too long. Yeah. Lost? One season too long. Alias was fine until they did the time jump. And then I think that was after season two or season three. They did a time jump. There Suddenly it's a year later. And and I thought, wait, what? What are we doing here? What? Why there's did a, we do there's this? There's a reason time jumps are not popular in... No. Most media, it's well, a whole lot of... you have to set it up. It can't just come out of the blue, like suddenly, you know, the next season where a year later, it's like, wait, 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 wait. What happened to that well, year? If you're going to invest in that idea, you gotta... You gotta fill the audience in on the important parts they missed and why. Yeah. And that's... Walking... Walking Dead did a, what, three-year, four-year, five-year time jump in the TV show? And they managed to do it pretty well. Mm. It was clunky in a few places, but overall they managed to make that jump work because it redefined relationships in the show in an interesting way. Mm. And it also made lugging around a, a screaming baby in the time of the zombie apocalypse a little <laughs> easier to do because now she's a precocious and dangerous little adolescent child with a knife. You didn't say but, Muppet. 
she's not really a moppet. She's a little too stabby for being a moppet. Yeah. And um, I, while I'm a big fan of of you know the adorable moppet uh, reappearing in at least every episode of something I do, um, <laughs> the fact that she's just Judith is just a little too stabby. Yeah. Not to mention. She uh, she wrapped Negan around her little finger, so that's she she wins points for being uh, uh, a crafty little stabby thing. Yeah. So, all right. So yeah, well, I mean will... it's, it's it's hard to do. Yeah. I I just you know as long as like I said as long as it's not Superman flyby, I'll be. It, it's already now. Uh, uh, positive right. right there. Well, speaking of J.J. Abrams, we do have Star Wars news tomorrow that'll be on a brand new Salacious Crumbs. And then on Thursday, we've moved the Ranker Pit. Uh, and that says Friday. Why does that say Friday? But it's Thursday. Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. I know why it says Thursday, because I didn't change the graphic on this show. I changed the graphic on the other show. So that's coming up. And then tomorrow on Live from the Bunker, Richard Palinelli will be here to talk about his new book, Galen's Way. And uh, I think we got a new Foreign Bodies this week. Do we not? Uh, what's the plan? Plan? All right. So tune in for all of that. If you are new to the channel, if you're just finding us, we do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on. And uh, you can find us on all the socials and sign up for our newsletter and leave us a comment and share it with your friends. And we'll do this again all next week. 259 next week. Who'd have thunk it? We just keep going. One of these days... We haven't found a way to stop us yet. Well, one of these days we're going to run out of ideas. And we're just going to look at each other for the entire hour and just kind of twiddle our thumbs and say, all right, now what? That's okay. Well, they'll just recast us. That'll be the reboot that nobody wants. All right. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Thanks for being here. Good night, folks. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 